Alrighty. Okay. So here we go. I'm very excited. All right. So welcome everyone to Humans Being and Friends, the radio show. <laughs> so today I have with me Grace. Gr well, you're not Grace Grindle anymore. You're Grace White. Nice to be though. <laughs> yes. So it's it's so it's always so weird for me because I still think of you and Felicia as like with your you know former mm -hmm. names. It's hilarious. So that's totally anyway, fine with me. So <laughs> so today we wanted to talk about um, the importance of reading. So mm -hmm. why we read, um, what we've been reading, and what we feel like we've been learning from what we've been reading. So um, Grace, I kind of wanted to just ask you like what your reading journey has been like, maybe from your childhood on to now, um, because. So you're a busy mom you've got three kids uh and so what has kind of your writing your, your reading life looked like over the past few years and what made you decide that it was a really important thing to keep reading hmm. that's a great question I have always loved reading so much it's always been a part of my life um some of my earliest memories are from my older siblings reading to me or my parents reading to me and um, often I would read quite a few books whenever we would be traveling or uh, when I was supposed to be doing chores or doing schoolwork, I would often be reading books. So it's always just been a deep love of mine. Um, and I have taken that through my whole life, really. I started reading um, quite a bit in high school, any sort of books that I could find on the shelf. And um, I did take a little break when I first got married. When I first had kids, I was super busy and or just kind of let that go to the side a little bit and um, picked it back up a few years ago and I've been really enjoying it. Oh, I love that. So and when you started getting back into reading, like what were the what were the first books that kind of hooked you back into reading? Ooh, I am trying to think it's been a little bit now since I started reading again. Um, I've always really enjoyed reading anything by like Tolkien. So uh, I started reading the Lord of the Rings. My brother lent me that book and read The Hobbit again. I read it actually again recently too. So we were talking about that, but yes, yeah, uh, probably that one. Okay, um, I'm, I'm sure all of my my writing friends from my writers group are going to be like, yes, because we all love Tolkien so much. Um, and did you find that you were, were you, did you feel, because especially with something like Lord of the Rings, a lot mm -hmm. of times people see those books and they just get intimidated because they're long. So I, you had probably already read them before, but when it comes to reading longer books, what would you tell busy people? Mm. Like, Yeah, I... Before Lord of the Rings, I've actually, I listened to it. So my brother lent it to me on Audible. And um, so it was well produced and I could just listen to it on my free time or when I was busy doing other things. Uh, yeah, listening to books is really helpful, especially when yes. you don't have the time to sit there and stare at the paper. Yes. And see, I think that that's a great thing to remember is I think sometimes we let ourselves think like, oh, maybe I'm just cheating because I'm not really reading. And there is like a there is a there is a special thing that happens with your brain, I feel like when you do put your eyes to the page. But 
it's so it's like it, we have technologies and why not use that to our benefit mm. right so if we are that busy or we find ourselves in the car a lot or we just you know we're, we're doing chores and we're actively busy with our bodies but like we can still be doing stuff for our brains mm. that doesn't mean that we just need to you know check out or you know just not be actively involved in our own learning mm. so I think that audiobooks are a great way to get books in and and especially like if you said if they're really well produced that was how mm. I got through Lord of the Rings this last time because I was like, I don't have time. And besides even just holding one of those big volumes over my head, because I have to, you know, read laying down. And so that's just like, you know, five minutes and you're like, oh, my arms. You know? yes. So just remembering that I think is a really um, important thing for modern readers, especially people who are busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, my eyes can get tired sometimes if I've been reading for a while. So I, yes. I love listening to books. Yes. Yeah. So, and when it comes to um, the books that you've been reading now, I know we're going to kind of do like our top, top three or whatever, but, um, do you have any criteria for what you pick up to read nowadays? Oh, I listen to, um, people that I trust that recommend books to me. And I have trusted people that recommend books to me and read the books and really not enjoyed the books and found out that I don't necessarily trust those people for offering books to me. (laughs) (laughs) Been betrayed. (laughs) I trusted you. Yes. Um, So that's a great way to go about it. And then I know like you started listening to the Literary Life podcast and I started listening to them like I want to say it wasn't even last year it was the year before that now so that's crazy that I've been listening to them for so long but um so I find recommendations like that from um I would say educational Mm. sources really to be helpful so um have you picked up I know this is kind of a segue now into the to the books we've been reading but like have you listened to any of the books that they've recommended and have you liked I have and so I you had recommended the Literary Life podcast to me. And so mm-hmm. I um, took me a little while before I started listening to them and discovered that they were talking about learning about books um, in a way that really fascinated me. And so I did. I read their Gaudy Night um, with them by Dorothy cool. Sayers, which you had recommended Dorothy Sayers to me, and I wish I'd jumped on it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> So what did you think of that book? Because like it is long. Mm. I mean, like that's a longer. I I did the audiobook for that one. It's a longer book, and I I I really found it to be fascinating, especially listening to it with the podcast. Like I wouldn't have picked up on all those things. Yes, I love that book so much because it's talking about what it's like to be a woman in a world where um, you're you're wanting to use your mind and um, just had a lot of different perspectives on what it meant to be a woman and um but it was also wrapped up in a really exciting mystery novel and so mm-hmm. I love that book so much yeah uh, did you find any um parts of it to be particularly striking for you just as far as um like with your own learning journey did you find parallels between you and um the main character Harriet what did mm. you what did you like about the whole book yeah I did actually relate to Harriet she was much more educated than I am and so she she's a little bit more like uh lofty as far as like knowing Latin and things like that the oh, character yeah. <laughs> um but I really loved that she was trying to figure out how she could 
um, have a life of a mind and have learning be something really important to her, but also be in a relationship with somebody and have a family and think about that side of her life, which I guess does correspond to me and how I yes. like to learn. And but I also have family that I'm taking care of. So yes. And what I think is really interesting about that whole um, dichotomy mm-hmm. is that people, regardless of whether they are male or female, there is this I- this idea that if you have the life of the mind, you can't have the mm-hmm. life of the body. Like a lot of times we're split off and we think, oh, well, you know, maybe I can't um, pursue education and pursue having a small business, mm-hmm. or maybe I can't, you know, be as involved with my family. Um, and I think especially for women, there's that tension because if you are going to be in the home, that is a full-time job, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think that when we neglect as mothers and wives and just women in general if we neglect our minds we're the we're the ones that guard the hearth and we really hold the essence of um humanity so if we are not educated ourselves we can't educate our children we can't be as helpful to our husbands and there's this there's been this um idea from i would say probably Oh, I don't know. Maybe like it's a hangover from the Victorian era where women are kind of seen sometimes as just like these decorative things Mm -hmm. that are just in the home. And that's not necessarily how everyone is, but especially because we come from church culture and I would even say like purity culture in Mm -hmm. the church where it's like very Victorian hangovers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I look back on even things from way in antiquity, like, you know, some of the, um, some of the Greek scholars or some of the, um, like even the Viking women. I mean, there were, it wasn't always that women were treated in a, you know, in like this way where we're really delicate. I just think that it became this thing in culture that was super popular. Mm -hmm. And because of that hang up, a lot of women tend to maybe think like, oh, I don't either, I either, I can't be educated Mm -hmm. in that way, or I shouldn't be educated in that way. And um, I just don't think that's true at all. I think if you have a a grasp of the classics and you understand humanity, if you understand psychology, all these things, that's only going to make you a more fit uh, educator for your children Mm -hmm. and also a better help meet for your husband. Um, When I think of, um, have you ever watched Star Trek Next Gen at all? Just a very small amount. I need to watch more. Okay. Yes. Okay. So do you know um, Deanna Troy? She's like the ship's counselor. She usually wears purple. I don't. I need to watch this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, I just, I always love her because she's very well educated Mm. and she's extremely wise and she has intuition like in the show it's like her it's almost like a supernatural gift but I'm like oh well that's so cool because that's what we as women have and she's known as the ship's counselor which is how I think that we operate Mm. for you know um uh, men and society in general we are the counselors and um so anyway it just I, I think that being well educated is extremely important for for all women I agree I've been discovering this more and more this year um that I can learn a lot from books. Um, I've read a lot of books that I just enjoyed the like the atmosphere that the book gave me. I think that was still beneficial, but I've been learning a ton this year. It's been really fun. Yes. Okay, so now I gotta yeah. ask you, okay. <laughs> so what are your top three books that you've read? You can either say like from this just this past year, mm-hmm. like starting in 2023 or like the last, you know, actual last 12 months. Um, and then like the biggest lessons that you've learned from each of them, which I know is a tall order. But okay, here we go. Let's get started. <laughs> um, so one of the top books that I read this 
last year was uh, The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis. Um, I actually listened to this one while my kids were at swim lessons, so um, really, really loved that book. And do you want me to go over the lessons same time, or should I? Yeah, yes, okay. yeah, I would love that, yeah. So for The Silver Chair, I really love the scene where there is this white witch or this witch that is trying to convince them that the land that they came from didn't exist but her Mm -hmm. land is the real one and they should stay stuck where they're at with her um and it reminds me of our real life situations where we can think that um you know the world of god and um his kingdom doesn't exist and what we're experiencing right this very second is the only thing that happens um, yes. You've, you've read that book as well, right? Or Oh, yes. 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 I know what part you're talking yes. about. I'm like, the part where she's strumming and she's like, there is no sun. And they, they there never was such a world. And all the children, there never was such yes. a world. Because she's putting this spell on them. Anyway, yeah. I can relate so much. I can often feel like what I'm experiencing right now is the only thing that happens or that I yes. can experience and if I haven't experienced it, it doesn't exist. Yes. So. Can you tell us just a little bit, like for those who've never read Silver Chair, which if you haven't read this book, okay, you need to go drop whatever you're doing yes. right now. <laughs> if you're on an airplane, jump out, deploy the parachute, <laughs> go to your newsletter. <laughs> go to find it. But yeah, so, but can you tell people um, a little bit about like the journey that happens in Silver Chair yes. and then specifically where they are when they're enchanted? Because mm. I feel like that's a really important thing. Yes. Yeah, so the, oh man, the journey that happens. So it's Eustace Scrub and Jill Pole. They come from our world that we're in right now, and I think from England. They go to Aslan's world, and Aslan gives them a quest to go find this prince who has been missing. And they journey to Narnia. They go on this quest with um, this Puddleglum, who is a Marshwiggle. He's the best character in the whole book. He's my favorite. <laughs> I love him so much. And they end up uh, underground. Um, they go on this long journey underground to find this prince. They don't recognize him at first, but um, they're inside underground in the witch's kingdom that she is developing at the time. Or it's actually not her kingdom, but she has taken over that area and is trying to take over Narnia as well. Yes, yeah. So when they're enchanted, they're in a they're in a place of darkness, Mm -hmm. which I think I don't know if you and I were talking about this, but maybe we were because of um, I don't know. I don't remember when we were talking about this, but just the uh, the whole idea of blindness Mm -hmm. and Angelina Stanford talks about this all the time. So you do you want to kind of explain like, oh, so blindness, that's metaphysics, right? Or, okay, mm-hmm. we've been talking about metaphysics. Yes. I'm glad I'm learning. <laughs> yes. So um, blindness is a metaphysical term where um, you, and it's not a good thing. Um, so it's where you either can't see something that's right in front of you or um, you are, you know, in darkness. You're not realizing what's happening around you and you want to be brought into the light. So uh, in they're when they're down in the darkness they believe that she's trying to the witch is trying to convince them that that's all that exists is being stuck down there 
Um, but they have this hope and this memory of the light from Narnia, which is really neat. Yes. Yeah. And okay, I this just popped into my head. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh my gosh, this made me excited. So you know how in, in the book, she throws this green powder into the fire before she enchants it. Mm. It fills the room with this heavy smoke, right? And um, I thought, oh my goodness, her light is like a false light. True. So her fire is kind of like a false fire and it, it is undone. The spell is broken when Puddleglum stamps out the light with his foot. Yes. And it's like suddenly the blindness of their eyes is undone because he... Uh, he like he undid he undid the inversion mm-hmm. of of this false light. Yeah. They're... So sometimes someone's trying to tell you truth and like shed light on something, but it's actually like they're actually blinding you. Yes. And also, she there's a sweet sticky smell that's in the air from this the green yes. powder, and he ruins that by the his foot gets smelly from burning accidentally on yes. the fire. So well, not accidentally, but. <laughs> accidentally on purpose yes. yeah so yeah <laughs> um so I just I love all that so um and then you were kind of saying like um what like it was just one of your favorite books because of certain elements that you felt like were true in your own mm-hmm. life so can you just explain that a little bit to everyone yes so I know that I often can feel like the world that I'm experiencing especially through social media or just um, issues that I'm experiencing um, firsthand are kind of the only thing that exists or that mm-hmm. um, God is not real. I can be tempted to think that. And even though I have, you know, had a relationship with him and I know him, uh, so I find it really encouraging when I read um, in the silver chair that, you know, that can even happen to other people as well. And um, I really love that. Yes, yeah, and I think Silver Chair has long been my favorite Narnia book because I hate it. Oh, <laughs> like, like, like it's it's it is the most difficult journey. They're the whole time they're wet, they're cold, they're tired. They go through these like un um just unpleasant landscapes. Because so many of the other books, it's like you know yeah in the in the in the white or in the line in the, in the wardrobe, everything is cold. But that like the spring comes, the thaw happens. They're with Aslan. Mm. They're in these beautiful pavilions you know there's a lot of yummy food and then in um in this one it's just like cold wet miserable like you know plucking pheasants and you're getting your hands cold and messy with just feathers and and then like not having food and you know having to sleep back to back of over a dying fire and all these things that just are unpleasant and then and then going down into a cavern where they meet these like little gnomes that you can barely see in the dark it just everything about it I was like that would be so unfun no. but I loved it because I felt like well life is oftentimes unfun mm-hmm. and I need this story I really needed that um encouragement mm-hmm. yes I, you're right it does seem like in this one Aslan is kind of not really around or like helping them but he really is helping them throughout mm-hmm. the whole time and you discovered that mm-hmm. at the end yes yeah I, and, and no matter how much they mess up mm-hmm. he still makes the plan come true like you know you could look back and say oh if you hadn't messed up in these ways that he asked you not to it would have gone better for you mm-hmm. but he still made his plan happen in the end which right. I just think is wonderful definitely so, okay, so second book, what's what's Ooh. your second one? Okay, so my second book that I've been uh, really enjoying this last year uh, was Frankenstein, and that is a book that we actually read together, so yes. I have special yeah. Yeah. 
relationship with that book. Yes, me too. So, um, so uh, do you want to just explain that story mm-hmm. a little bit, and then we can kind of dive into? And do you have any quotes from Frankenstein that you wanted to just share? Just a, a little one. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Um, okay. So the Frankenstein is a um, young person that uh, gets kind of into a little bit of trouble when he's off at college. He just a little. Yes, he's <laughs> uh, creates this monster while he's off in college he's up in his room and kind of going a little insane and he creates this monster he uh he didn't really think that it would come to life I think um but it did and so he um it's really the whole book after that is this monster's going around causing trouble people are being murdered and uh Frankenstein is kind of coming upon whatever murders have happened and uh causing Victor Frankenstein doesn't really take responsibility for what happens but kind of it's his fault for creating the monster in the first place um Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's been a really fun book to read I really enjoyed it yes okay so themes from this book there were so many themes that we talked about Grace I don't even know if we could like shrink them all down but um what themes stood out to you the most and I have a couple that I want to add to but Mm -hmm. what were your what were your big themes so the biggest thing that I kept noticing was that Victor Frankenstein didn't take responsibility for what the monster was doing um he let the monster murder people he let people die because of who the monster had killed and didn't um stand up for those people and um also another theme there's so many but is that (laughs) he kept trying to not feel anything he kept trying to soothe himself and not deal with the problem and just kind of avoiding everything Mm mm-hmm Yes. Yeah. So numbness. Mm -hmm. And um, we talked about um, with this theme of wanting to kind of protect yourself, the themes of cowardice and um, trying to escape reality and also being very, um, we said that he was not really at one with nature Mm -hmm. too in that, in that sense, because when you're not willing to feel things, you can't feel either joy or pain and it cuts you off from, it cuts him off from his family. It cuts him off from even just wanting to experience the goodness of nature. He kind of, you, you mentioned, do you want to talk about where he kind of ended up? Um, so he ended up at the end in the Arctic circle, right up Mm -hmm. by the North pole. Um, is that what you're asking? That and also the island that he was oh, at, um, like the Scotland. gray island. Yes, and it yes. was all gray and rocky, and the building he was in was all broken down, and he liked it that way. He was happy about that. Yeah, because he didn't want, it was like he couldn't let himself experience mm-hmm. anything good because he felt like, if I experience any kind of elation, I'm going to come back down again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just I thought that that was really fascinating yes he almost enjoyed feeling miserable it seemed like a little bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah oh and there was a line I wish I'd pulled it up but there was a line about him uh about like hiding basically it was kind of talking about hiding from his own sin is really what it was and how he felt like he couldn't face his family he couldn't face his friends uh because of what he had done and 
it was just such an interesting thing to me because I do think that a lot of times when we see people who have cloistered themselves away from mm -hmm. society, a lot of times it's because they have sin that they just can't face mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And the shame is too much for them. And so they end up kind of dying this slow, awful death where it's, you know, they could just bring things out into the light, but they don't. So they end up just withering away in darkness. I feel like if Victor Frankenstein had owned up to what he had done right at the beginning, I think there could have been a lot of pain avoided, but yes, yeah, yeah, and I don't, and I, I think we had touched on this too, but I don't know if, I don't know if Mary Shelley did this on purpose or not, but the whole idea of of, of someone named Victor who was not victorious, Ooh. I thought that that was very interesting. So hmm. yeah, yeah, I yeah, I remember talking about that with you. Yeah. So okay, did you have quotes I that do. you wanted to? Okay. Yes, I feel like this. Um, quote is what summed up the book for me a little bit it's um he had just gotten out of pr prison kind of towards the end and it says I remember as I quitted the prison I heard one of the men say he may be innocent of the murder but he has certainly a bad conscience these words struck me a bad conscience yes surely I had one yes so, and then it kind of talk just why was this quote so important to you? Um, I think because it, during the book, Victor kept making it seem like it wasn't really his fault what was happening. Everything was kind of happening to him. Um, so I think I really liked it every now and then when he would realize that it was kind of him and he was the one that needed to do something about what had happened. Yes, yes. And it's so interesting how I felt like this whole book was very much about the idea of wanting to run from pain mm -hmm. because the whole thing started where he wanted to avoid death, right? He wanted to have, he wanted to basically have the elixir of life, the philosopher's stone, all these things yes. that people had been chasing after for years. And he was willing to kind of do questionable things to get it. So mm -hmm. he kind of put himself through these um I wouldn't maybe I wouldn't say like straight up satanic things that he was doing but kind of you know in order to get something to get eternal life in a way other than mm -hmm. God yeah and he was trying to avoid pain and then he the, the whole book like you were saying he really is a coward because the monster is going around killing his friends and family and he's not stand he's not standing up to the monster he doesn't take ownership for what the monster's done he just wants to keep running away yes. he's like i need to go on a vacation <laughs> i need to <laughs> you're like oh my gosh frank is going so yeah exactly why don't why don't we just go on a long trip that'll solve everything yeah. so um and then in the end, he kind of has to take on um, the knight's quest. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I noticed at the end was when he finally said, okay, I need to go out and slay this monster, mm -hmm. slay the dragon kind of a thing. Yes. And um, even though it ends in a very unique way where he doesn't actually end up killing the monster, his whole persona had changed mm -hmm. to where he at least wanted to go and chase yes. after the monster. I feel like he finally took responsibility at the end for what he had done mm -hmm. and yes um, it seemed like at the end the whole universe was brought back to the way that it should have been and there was resolution to me at least yes yes okay now I need to ask you for this book and for for these classics that you were starting to read do you find that you care less and less about the scenery and the setting of the book as much as what's happening Hmm. Well, the scenery does matter, 
in the book. How did you feel for that? Or well, well, what I'm what I'm wondering is a lot of modern books. I feel like they get so heavy yes. on description. <laughs> And they He's are striking less... a chord here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because it it, I, it at some point it's like I don't. It, it's almost like a play. Like mm-hmm. it, you, you, the, when you do a play, the scenery and the costumes are different every time, even if they're generally the same. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if you go to see a uh, if you go to see a production of Beauty and the Beast, you know that at one point there's going to be a staircase and there's going to be a yellow mm-hmm. dress and there's going to be a, the Beast in the costume. But I really could care less about like what the floor looked like mm-hmm. and like the particular colors of the the backdrop. Like what what matters to me is the script and the plot mm-hmm. and parts of the scenery. Like you said, yes, parts of it are important because it becomes a part of the plot. Like when the beast sees Belle come down the stairs, mm-hmm. that's a part of the plot. Right. Um, but I'm finding like I just care less and less about the 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 extremely minute trappings of things mm. and I want more about the actual plot so I don't know what did you because I felt like we could take this story lift it and make it modern yes um actually I think that what Rick, this story Frankenstein did is I can see it showing up in my life elsewhere um so mm. my sister today was telling me about David King David and all the trouble he got into and how he didn't um didn't take responsibility for the things that happened to his kids and his son and he really didn't and the first thought that popped into my head was oh Victor Frankenstein was like that too it helps me kind of relate to other things more so if it can come outside of the story that I first read it in and I can visualize it elsewhere yes because it's like it's a type it's an archetype Mm -hmm. And so you can plug you plug and place these things that helps you get a, a fuller sense of this picture. Mm-hmm. So, and um, uh, that's one of my other questions that I really wanted to ask you. I was like, where are you finding all of these connections in your, you know, in your literary life with your real life? But um, do you want to talk about that now or do you want to talk about your third Ooh, book? Uh, maybe I'll bring up the third, third book next. Okay. Um, I am reading the Laura Ingalls Wilder books to my kids. So uh, we're on right now reading by the shores of silver lake and i'm really enjoying this book again i read it once when i was younger a couple times um but i'm reading it again to them and just sharing that love with them which is really fun um and there's this one scene where her dog passes away and it's just the saddest scene ever but it's really sweet to read about how the dog kind of was there for her and there for her family and like helped them out. And now she needed realized that she needed to be there for her family and kind of stand up and be strong and help her family out. Mm, wow. Do you, do you have a quote that you wanted Ooh, to read to us? I do. It's really sad. I was, okay. when I was reading it to my kids, my tears are coming down my street, my Aww. cheeks. It was so sad. Oh, tear warning, everybody grab your hankies. Yes. Um, let me see. Let's see. She stroked his head where the fine gray hairs were. This is right after she has discovered that he has passed away. And she thought of how good he always, he had always been. She had always been safe from wolves or Indians because Jack was there. And how many times he had helped her bring in the cows at night. How happy they had been playing along Plum Creek and in the pool where the fierce old crab had lived. And when she had to go to school, he had always been waiting at the ford for her when she came home. 
um, is actually quite a bit more, um, I'll skip a little bit, but here it goes. Laura knew then that she was not a little girl anymore. Now she was alone. She must take care of herself. When you must do that, then you do it and you are grown up. Laura was not very big, but she was almost 13 years old and no one was there to depend on. Pa and Jack had gone and Ma needed help to take care of Mary and the little girls and somehow to get them all safely to the West on the train. Wow. Oh, man. I love that. I love how descriptive she is in her books. I feel like I can always picture what's happening um, in her story. Mm-hmm. I love it, too, because it's very simple language, but it's very mm-hmm. vivid. So it's it's not, there's nothing flowery about it. It really is the way that we think when we mm-hmm. are that age, very kind of matter of fact. And it's almost comforting in a way, because I feel like sometimes when adults try to write things that are like make overly flowery mm-hmm. statements about things when they're sorrowful. It's like, no, you're not understanding. It's just mm-hmm. sad. You know what I mean? Like, it, but it's also a time, like she said, where it's a time mm-hmm. to grow up. And there is this, like, you put your little backpack yeah. on, you're like, okay, the wild world awaits, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, that's beautiful. I really love that part. And also just kind of realizing, you know, you can't just rely on other people to do everything for you. You have to kind of take responsibility and, um, keep going in life and um it's okay to be sad about things but also you got to keep going too yeah and there is there is such an element of bravery there and I think that that's maybe particular to something with American writing I haven't um a lot of people tend to not appreciate American literature as much which I can understand in the sense that yes we don't have maybe like this rich rich heritage where we've been writing for a really long time and we have like all these wonderful um I feel like we don't have as much of a mythos Mm. when it comes to American writing but I feel like the mythos that we do have is about the prairie it's about hard work it's about you know you know all of our legends are like Paul Bunyan and Mm. Johnny Appleseed like things that had to do with nature and how um how nature was very uh it's a we have a very um like a difficult landscape Mm. here whether it's wind and rain or hurricanes or um, just constantly being drenched in the Northwest, we have a lot of turmoil in the land. Whereas in England, you don't really mm-hmm. have that. You have rain, but it's not like, you know, it's not the yeah. dust bowl and, you know, it's, you know, it's just not like that. So I feel like that kind of reflects on our American heritage of we're like, we come from hard yeah. tack and hard, you know, you know, hard liquor and hard tack. It's <laughs> kind of yeah. our, seems to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, um, and have your kids really enjoyed hearing these stories? I I think that they do. Sometimes not everybody's eager to read, but I've been really careful to not read if we're not in the mood for it, because I don't want it to be like a task that we're doing. It's more just something we love doing together. Um, one of my daughters looked over at me when I was crying about the dog dying and she, she's kind of very similar to me. And she was just like, Oh, did the dog die? and stuff it was just so sweet oh I just think it's such a good bonding thing too you know like I I remember my mom used to read us stories where she would cry all the time and it it was it was a very it was a good it was a good bonding time and it was just yeah I think it was a very special thing to be able to read together I think that families that read together Mm -hmm. they they grow together and they stay together I really love it because I feel like it's a really good bonding time because we're all sitting down 
near each other. We're doing something fun together that we're all enjoying and we can kind of interact together. So it's really fun. Yeah. And do, do they ever want to take turns reading out loud or are they not at that stage I don't know that yet? we're at that stage yet with the books we're reading together. I do see them reading to okay. each other sometimes. So maybe they are copying yeah. me on that. But it's a good idea, though. Have us read together. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic, though, that they are starting to read out yeah. loud to each other because kids will imitate what they see. So if you're reading them books, like, they'll be like, this is what you do. You just read, yes, you know? I love making reading books sound like fun to my kids because I just kind of want to instill yeah. that love to them, too. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. So now is like the big universe questions. <laughs> so. So you've kind of given us an example with Frankenstein, but just how do you see what you're reading in your daily life and how is it enriching your mm. daily life? So it does affect my daily life all the time now, especially since I've started reading more um, books that are a little bit older that have kind of stood the test of time a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess Victor Frankenstein, that one keeps showing up for me a lot. Um, I think that the books that I love the most are ones that I kind of see happen to me um, in my life too. Um, so like Gaudy Night, um, I really loved that one because it did affect me kind of putting more emphasis on learning about life and um, kind of learning and still having my uh, relationship with my family and keeping that strong. Um, so that's one one that has been coming up. I don't know. I keep telling you all these things that I'm learning, but they're kind of coming to a blank right now. I know. <laughs> well, okay. Well, um, tell me the thing again about um, The Room with a View, because you were talking about that one too. Room with a View. I'm trying to remember what happened with that one. So that one was a quest where they're kind of going down into Italy to um, save this or bring this baby back up to them. I think that was the one with Room with View. Is that right? Okay. I think so. And it was you were saying that there was like the fiance yes. and he was the only one who could see her. Um, yeah. I am forgetting right now what happened with Room with a View. But I remember that one, it was also a story of indecision. So he, mm. um, no, I'm getting my books mixed up. That was for Angel's Fear to Tread. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's okay. It's okay. I, like, like, you've been reading a lot. <laughs> no, I'm getting mixed up here. This is what happens, people. We start reading a lot, and then we're like, wait a minute, because you get you get caught up in the flow of whatever you're writing yes. right now. Like, mm -hmm. and then and then that book takes on a life of its own. You're like, oh, I can see this and this and this. And then when someone asks you, like, what have you read this year? You're like, you like look behind your shoulder, and you're like, uh, a lot I'm of things. So, much. <laughs> you know? so, well, I just remember what you had been saying about there was it was something about a room with a view where it was this woman who felt really invisible and that it was like her fiance was the only one who could see her. And she, you were saying that it was just making you recognize things in your home mm -hmm. where you're like, I want to see my family yes. more. And so, yes, I'm, I was getting mixed up. I was talking about where angels fear to tread the, a room with okay. a view. Something that really stood out to me was this girl had, um, fallen 
kind of met this person who saw her for who she really was and really listened to her and understood her. And she um, ended up going back to England and she met this person. She got engaged to him. Um, but every conversation that they had, the her fiancé kept telling or just not really listening to her. So she would talk to him and it said about him that he didn't listen to her and he never really did. You know, what she said wasn't really important to him. Mm. And I mm-hmm. recognized in myself that I wasn't treating my kids as real people when they were talking to me and I wasn't really listening to them. I wasn't recognizing mm. that they had a full personhood and that they, what they were thinking about mattered to them. And so I found that really valuable. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, and I think it's fabulous too, how you are able to read these books. And so many times, um, I would say that modern artists and modern readers, we tend to impose ourselves on the text, meaning we try to make it all about Mm -hmm. ourselves in a way that's like, for, for example, if you read that in a selfish modern way, you might say, well, who isn't seeing right. me right now, mm. right? Instead of how am I not seeing yeah. other people? And so I'm just, it, I think that, you know, I'm like, I want to raise the flag. Like, Yay! <laughs> you know, because I think that that's very important. It's not about what's it's not about what's done to us. It's really about what, what are we mm-hmm. doing to other people? And that's how we can learn through, um, yeah, through literature. I can see flaws in myself through people that are in a book that are very clearly not necessarily the bad guy, but the flawed person, the person you're not supposed to root for. Um, it's mm-hmm. kind of has a very black and white world. And so you can take your own colorful world and um, kind of relate to it in that way. It's really neat. Yes. And to go back to The Silver Chair, I think one of the reasons I loved that book when I was younger is because I really identified with Jill. Just how she was kind of, I mean, she's she's always been one of my favorite characters, but she was like kind of a weaker character at the beginning. You know, she's like crying and just like upset about, you know, upset about things. And she shows off and because she's showing off, like poor Eustace gets thrown off a cliff and... (laughs) all these and then like she's the one who's tasked to remember the signs and she's the ones that forgets them and um and so I just I always recognized like myself in so many of the Narnia characters or even you know Mm -hmm. Edmund and Eustace when he's being a little turd on Voyages on Treader you know there's so many things where you can be where you can really analyze yourself and go wow like am I being like that right now you know um I love with Jill how in the silver chair how she kept missing the signs and they kept messing up, but Aslan still kept um, causing his plan to happen. And I can really relate to that as a Christian. And I'm mm. constantly messing up all the time. Um, but God's plan is still happening, which is really neat. Yes. Oh, we all relate to that so much. And it's so, I'm like, thank God that God's plan doesn't yes. ride on us. <laughs> Like he, he wants us to participate mm-hmm. in it as much as we possibly can. But when we deviate, we can just be like, thank you so much, Jesus, that your, your track and your train is the one that I'm on. This is, I'm not, I'm not riding, I'm not yes. driving this train. You're the one who's driving the this train. And the participation you know? is for yeah. our benefit. It's not necessarily yes. that his plan is not going to happen without us. So, 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. It makes me think of like when you, or maybe I, I think I might've said this to you already, but it's like when you're making a dinner and your kids are, are like, you want your kids to learn how to make dinner. So you're having mm-hmm. them help you and you are still completely in charge of dinner, but you know, and, and if they mess up or something, you'll just throw that part away. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to let them do the whole chuck yeah. by themselves. Right. You know, but, but if they, if they're willing to learn from you, then then it's a wonderful mm-hmm. process. And when they mess up, it's like, well, it, I'm, I'm still in charge of all of it. So yeah, yeah. definitely don't give them uh, the charge of making the most complicated section right at the beginning. No, <laughs> no, God's like, I will get that part. That's, that's my job. You know, how come I can't use the oven yet? I you wonder know? why. Yes. <laughs> oh. So, and then any other like, um, I don't know any other reasons why, like if you were to talk to someone and they were to say to you, Grace, I don't read. I think reading mm-hmm. is boring or reading is really hard for me. I have like a reading disability or I don't have mm-hmm. time to read. What would you say to these people? Uh, I still think that reading could be beneficial. Um, even if you find it really difficult or if there's something that is getting in the way of reading. Um, I do really love listening to books. I think that um, if you kind of put some effort in, there is a lot of benefit that you can get out of reading, uh, especially older books, um, because they really do give you that opportunity to think outside of the box a little bit. Um, so I, I highly, highly recommend it. Yes. Amen. Amen. And you know, one of the things I think about uh, anything that's classical is that it starts to unlock these keys to the universe mm-hmm. for you where you and, it, and we were both saying like, you know, even with just like Frankenstein mm-hmm. and David, like I hadn't made that correlation yeah. until you said that. But what's so fun is that basically any little tiny sentence from the Bible could become a novel mm-hmm. on its own. And when you and it's almost like these little holding tanks where if you can think about a word being like a um a cup size container and when you start actually you know reading the each and every cup your your vast knowledge mm-hmm. like when you go back to the bible you have these huge huge depths now to mm-hmm. pull from instead of just skimming the surface you've actually gone into each of these little ideas that have been unpacked mm-hmm. for you so it becomes this super super rich um <clears throat> you know like 7,000 layer cake and every slice that you take, you're like, oh yes, like I understand so much more now. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it really is about finally finding ourselves and our place in the universe because in, especially in today's modern world where everything is kind of this um, skim the surface, you know, I don't even really know my friends. Maybe I just like look at their feed on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. It, it's, this is like, an act of rebellion by diving into these depths and actually learning things. And we will not, we will not find these things um, just mm-hmm. in the movies. And if you do find them in the movies, often it's so small, like it's great if you know these things, because like you were saying, you can recognize mm-hmm. them in the movies now, but you're not, they're not going to, they're not teaching you literature in the, in film usually. And so we kind of have to do the hard work to have the deeper Mm. life, if that makes sense. Yes, I think that does remind me of something that we were talking about, how um, you can see um, God in the books that you're reading. And um, Mm. having a relationship with God is 
what causes you to be able to see him there because he's not necessarily put there on purpose by the author. Mm. So that's been really fun for me to see lately. Yes. Do you have, okay, I know it's hard to pull a specific example sometimes when I put you on the spot, but do you have a specific um, example? Well, I know we were talking about the Grapes of Wrath and how <clears throat> I saw like God was directing mm. that family and he's providing for them, um, you know, having people come along and offer them jobs and things like that. And I actually don't know if John Steinbeck meant to have God in, in the Bible or in his book, sorry, um, or not, but I saw, oh, well, God was helping them. That's how they got to that place or, um, so. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and it, it is really interesting when you start reading, um, because we have this understanding that God is there, I actually came up with, I keep coming up with ideas and I'm like, I need to stop coming up with book ideas. But I thought it would be, it'd be such a cool thing to have like kind of this dystopian style book, but it's called God Interrupted. And basically it would be where this society really thinks that God doesn't exist, but there's one character who ends up kind of having these like Old Testament revelations Mm. of God. And, you know, and he's like, this is, this shouldn't be happening to me. Like, how come God is interrupting my life? You know? And then everything gets more and more uncomfortable for him because God is actually making it a way almost like Mm. Noah again, where, so it would be like this, this way where actually God ends up saving all these people and, you know, they get away from this society. But I, I find it really interesting because we have that perspective on on the on the whole world where we know that God comes in and he interrupts our lives and we know that he's doing it because he wants to save us reveal himself to us love us and lead us towards heaven whereas so many of these other you know people they really don't have that understanding they think that it's just humanity and that's mm-hmm. all there is but ever so often and really whenever there's a piece of art that is true there is always somehow an element of god's truth in it even if it's revealing something that is sad or dangerous like with frankenstein right we can see how the absence of god <clears throat> and the not trusting in god brings about this whole uh, you know ep- episode with mm-hmm. the monster that's terrible so we when you see things through a Christian perspective and through God's um, kind of God's lens, you you go, wow, like everything really comes down to either having God mm-hmm. or not. And all the true pieces of art that we have are somehow glimpses into that reality of the connection between God mm-hmm. and man. Yeah, I really love it when I'm reading something in the Bible and it uh, kind of gives me deeper insight into a book that I had just read. So... Mm-hmm. Um, we had talked, I think I told you about this, but we, um, after I read Silver Chair, I've been thinking about how there's a world in heaven and God that's, um, we don't necessarily see him face to face right now. We have his Bible and his word that we can read. Um, and I was reading in, I think it was first or second Kings and the, um, Elisha was surrounded by an army that wanted to get him, kill him probably. Mm-hmm. And yes, his yes. servant was afraid and he prayed, asked God to show his servant what was really happening. And God opened the eyes of his servant. So there's blindness that was being removed. So, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. could see um, God's army on all the hills around them, surrounding them. And it's just, I love when I read that and I'm like, oh, now I understand the silver chair better because like, this is real that God put that there. It's really neat. Yes. Yes. And it's so cool because when you start understanding 
literary conventions like mm -hmm. blindness and you, you see this like oh this is a literary construct this is something that is used in literature to help me understand just reality in general you start picking the, those up mm -hmm. in the bible or even um because i had been reading second kings at the same time so we were kind of like swapping second kings notes but it was really cool because i found a couple spots where it really seemed to me like oh this is very much about like how mm -hmm. jesus is and there was this king named jehu and he ended up overthrowing um, King Ahab and Queen mm. Jezebel. And there was something about when he rode out to battle, it, There, were, I can't remember now the line, it was very specific, but I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be like how it is when Jesus mm. comes back as the king. And then there was another part, um, I think it might have been in First Kings, because um, Samuel's son just became king. But um, Samuel's son said, um, the people are asking me to lower taxes. What should I do? And the old men said, you need to lessen their burden. You need to like, you know, you know, get them to be on your side. And the young men said, nah, you need to like go after them and charge mm -hmm. them more and say, my little finger's going to be thicker than my father's yes. waist was, you know? And so they were asking, uh, the wording was your, the fa your father's yoke and burden mm -hmm. was heavy. And that triggered my mind because now I'm kind of trained to like pick up on phrases more. And so I was like, that's what Jesus said. Like he was saying that he's the good mm -hmm. king. I never got that because he said, come to me. My burden is easy. My, you know, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I was like, oh, that's because he's the good king. I get it. I get it. So anyway, you got yes. really excited. What were you going to say? That has been something <laughs> that surprised me recently is that I do think that mm. my brain has been trained from picking up themes, symbolisms, catching references in books like oh this other book was referenced that's important has actually helped me to read my bible a little bit deeper or closer like um and catching mm. things more it's been really fun yes because it's how yeah. we read because you can just skim read you well, know I've done blah, that. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> okay done <laughs> versus paying attention to the text and really like paying close attention and then i had um said that i was having a lot of fun doing cross-referencing and then i know you've been mm -hmm. doing cross-referencing so have you been seeing more things even just within your cross references yes so um i thank you for recommending that to me we're looking at cross references yeah oh yeah more. it's been fun i'm trying to remember i went on this whole rabbit trail when i was cross-referencing referencing oh. the other day <laughs> and it was about I was reading in John where he Jesus said to the woman at the well oh no he had just talked to the woman at the well and the disciples came over to Jesus and they're like oh well aren't you hungry like here's some food and he said my food is to um, do the will of the father who sent me and that got me excited because in our church recently, we had gone through the temptations of Jesus and he had, mm. uh, when he was tempted to turn the stones into bread, he had said, um, man shall not live by bread alone. And so I went and looked that up and then I was yes. like, oh, I got to find that in the where what was he quoting there? So then I found that in Deuteronomy and where God is like... <laughs> telling the Israelites that, you know, he had fed them in the wilderness from the manna and they needed to rely on him for their will or to rely on him for sustenance. 
And then I got sent to Psalms. I can't remember which verse it was exactly, but it was, oh, I delight to do your will. Or it was there. Yes. And then I'm thinking about how food is a delight to eat. It's just, I love it so much. Oh, yes. and everything's so connected. And you're just like, you're sitting there, your yes. brain's going, when someone's like, are you okay? <laughs> yes. I'm making so many connections yes. right now, you know? So it, it's, it is so much fun. And that's also why, like, um, metaphysics is really important to me because I'm very passionate about Christians knowing how much the physical world matters mm-hmm. to God. He, he didn't just make this world to destroy it. He made this world to last forever. Like this, this world that we currently have, the broken one will be completely remade, but we will always have material. And just because we have broken material doesn't mean that material isn't good. And it was very like, um, Jesus essentially married us in the sense that he became a human and he can never undo that. So he will always have a human body. Now he didn't used to have a human body and now he always will. So his covenant with us is very like Mm. physical. It's in the body. And um, I was thinking the other day when Jesus said that he was like the water of life and you know, that he's the light of the world. And I was like, wait a second. Oh, hang on. Okay. Your body is made up of what? Is it 90% water? Oh, so much water. 75, 90. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, some really high percentage. And I was like, whoa, okay. So like our bodies, literally when Jesus is saying, you know, he's like the water of life. He, he, he's the, he is the water that holds everything together. Like without water, we wouldn't, Mm -hmm. we would just be dust, you know? And then he is the light of the world. And when you think about just how the whole um, ecosystem works, we literally Mm -hmm. eat light every day. That's what we eat because without the plants and the, like in the animals eat the plants. So whatever you're eating, it's yep. sunlight, you know, and then even just when when people think about how, you know, how we're supposed to be humble and we are supposed to be uh, like our bodies were made from dust, from dirt. Right. But dirt is actually like such an amazing substance because it's made out of all the like decomposed plants. It's got like other life in it that, you know, like aerates the soil. It's got all these moving parts within it. And then from dirt is what everything else comes from. Like that's, you know, like the, the, the seeds have to fall into the dirt in order to grow, blah, blah, blah. And so we are like living humble dirt, which is low like it's the lowest of things but it's also like in heaven we're going to be walking on streets of gold so you've got these little like dirt people walking on top of gold and gold has become Mm. their dirt you know it's like what like it's just it's so insane so when we're not humble and we're like i want to be like gold we're actually becoming like Mm. pavement but when we want to be like when we want to be humble we're becoming like dirt which is alive so anyway i just i know It's yes. so much fun though. And you you can make, you can start making these connections when you can see symbols, when you can understand mm-hmm. metaphysics and all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. It's been really fun talking about books with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you so much for doing this with me. So, um, yeah, so I will, um, I'll just wrap up by saying that both of us are just very passionate about reading. We love it. Um, I would, if if anybody has questions about like, types of books to read or anything like that um you could email us at the humans being show at gmail.com and i'll put that in the show notes so grace and i can hack those back and forth and see what we recommend for you guys but um this has been so much fun so thank you so much grace for joining thank me thank you today. so much for having me i loved it yeah yeah so um we will see you guys uh for the next scheduled episode of humans being and um, nick will be back with us soon um but we've had so much fun you and i grace and then hopefully we'll get to do one of these soon maybe about something else so i'd love to have you so much
Alrighty, okay, bye everybody. Friends and Friends and Friends, the radio show. Even better. And Friends and Friends, the friendly radio show. No.